Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. How much time, energy, and resources have you invested in helping someone that's struggling with an addiction only to watch them keep going back to it? You don't want to give up on them, but you're fast giving up hope that they'll ever change. Well, you can step off the addiction roller coaster and find a solution that'll work for both of you. Join addiction experts, hosts of the popular podcast, The Addiction Solution, and authors of The Freedom Model for Addictions, Mark Sharon, and me, Michelle Dunbar, to learn a solution that'll provide you and your loved one freedom from the addiction battle for good. It's called Families Moving Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a three-hour live online free event where you'll hear information about addiction we guarantee you've never heard before. So if you love someone struggling with an addiction, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll, click the link provided and register soon for the date that works for you because each masterclass will only have 50 participants. We'll see you at the class. We want to send you a free copy of our revolutionary book, The Freedom Model for Addictions. To help us bring this incredible gift to you, we ask that you pay a small fee for shipping. Learn how tens of thousands of people have permanently solved their addictions without steps or meetings and make 2023 your best year yet. Give yourself or someone you love the gift of total freedom from addiction. Click on the link to get your free copy sent to you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we wrote with Stephen Slate, the Freedom Model for the Family and the Freedom Model for Addictions. We're so happy you're joining us today. So we did for this episode another where we opened the book and we got to this page that says unhappiness isn't a cause of heavy substance use. That is something that most people believe that heavy substance use is caused by you know, stress and trauma and depression and anxiety and basically unhappiness, right? So there's so there's a whole bunch of people out there. You might be one of them. Uh, I know I was. That mm. was very unhappy. Yep. And uh, I certainly used that as maybe an excuse to to drink and drug heavily. And um, and so. I think it's really important to first talk about, there's another chapter called Learned Connections. So, so if you're unhappy and you drink and drug because of that, doesn't mean it's a causal relationship. What I right. mean by that is it doesn't mean that it's automatic. So we want to be very careful in our language about what we're talking about because we, whenever we bring up this topic, people will say, well, Mark, 
you know, mm. I, I, I'm really depressed. And when I'm depressed, I drink. So what you're saying, you're, you're full of shit, you know, and they get really mad at me and they think we're being dismissive of their unhappiness and the, the, the link they've made to, to drinking or drugging. And, but what's important is when we frame this out, we're talking about the fact that first of all, it's not causal, meaning if you're unhappy, you don't automatically drink and drug. No. Um, that it's a choice. And it may be a choice that you've determined is important to you. It may be your personal uh, solution to unhappiness, and that is to drink and drug. And you may believe that it actually pulls you out of the doldrums. Um, but objectively speaking, alcohol and drugs can't know what you're unhappy about. Right. <laughs> so so they can't objectively change your mind for you. We always go over this and, and we, we do this in just about every single podcast because these myths are so profoundly deep yeah. in people's psyches and, and ideas and the way they frame the world, mostly because the, the marketing for drugs and alcohol are surrounding this idea. Well, there's, it's they so damn good. It. Yeah. I mean, when you when you see a beer commercial and somebody's sitting on a tropical beach, you know, sipping a you know, sipping a beer or a cocktail, I mean, you know, that's pretty powerful stuff. It is. It is. So the the imagery and and humans, me and Michelle were talking about this this morning. Um, you know, the the universe is gamed against yeah, your happiness, your psyche is gamed towards happiness. Okay. So what I mean by that is as an individual, you have what's called the positive drive principle. So you're always looking for a happier existence. That motivation rallies against the universe, which is gamed against you. Let me give you an example by what I mean by that. If you were to just say to yourself, well, I don't believe the universe is gamed against me. All you have to do is take five days of your life, put on a pair of shorts, maybe a halter top if you're a girl, and go sit in a field somewhere with no food, no water, and see if you survive and see how you feel after five days of that. Just sitting there. Just sitting there. The hot sun, the bugs, or the cold, or the bugs, or whatever it is that wherever part of the world you're in, whatever is going on in that part of the world, if you wherever you are, if you do that, what what happens after five days? So the point is, you will be sunburned, dehydrated, nearly to death, uh, if it doesn't kill you. Um, you will be starving. You will have heart problems. You will have respiratory issues. You will be eaten nearly alive by the bugs and insects of that region. Um, and, and so what you become acutely aware of in nature is the nature of the universe. <laughs> now we tend to live in a very civilized society where we can kind of insulate ourselves from a lot of this reality, but can we, mm. but can we, doesn't your boss call when things are, are going bad already and he says, uh, you got fired? Or um, what about the person that's walking down the street? They make a phone call to their doctor and they find out they have cancer, which they have no control over. What about the parent whose kid just died of an overdose, which they had no control over? And you're going to tell me that the universe isn't gamed against you. 
So now this may sound like I'm doomsaying, but what I'm doing is I'm framing out reality. That's not to say that we don't have random luck in good directions either. Oh, for sure. The point is it's this giant, crazy, wild, evolving thing called the universe, and we're just a little piece in it. Yeah. And so uh so what how do we how do we function in that when it comes to drinking and drugging is we look for first we hear the marketing ploy, which is alcohol and drugs make stress go away. So you already have the stress of the universe piled on you. It's heaped on you from birth. The very first thing that happens when you come out of the birth canal is you choke and you spit and you start breathing and you're shocked and you cry, <laughs> right? Yes. From the insulation of the mother's womb into the universe, you are cast, right? So, so we have this wonderful thing that God or the universe also placed in us called the positive drive. And that, that thing, that desire to be happier is a profoundly powerful thing coupled with free will and your autonomy. You get to choose how you're going to manifest happiness. Enter the drugs. So now you, you get some marketing that says it takes away the pain. It makes you happier. It it's makes, an emotional salve. Yeah. And now, now you drink or you drug, you feel a physical sensation, and then you take the marketing idea, your positive drive is seeking this pleasure, and it fulfills the manifesto that that marketing campaign told you. You begin to interpret the physical sensation as stress relief. And now we've talked about this endlessly, but I ha we have to do this in just about every podcast because it's so, it's so deeply ingrained. And people tend not to listen. We can do this over and over again. And people say, yeah, but yeah, but it takes my stress away. Why am I struggling so much? I'm like, oh my God, did you not listen to the five podcasts we did on this? Right, right. right. Well, I'm going to read. Um, this is from chapter 16 called Forging a Lasting Preference Change. And Great chapter, by yep, the way. It's a really great chapter. And um, it's this is page 262 in the book you can get for free. Yeah, you can get it for free. Freebook.freetomodel.org. <laughs> this is a section called Unhappiness Isn't a Cause of Heavy Substance Use. With all our talk about heavy substance use being driven by the pursuit of happiness, there is a common misconception people have about the freedom model. They think that we're saying depression or unhappiness causes heavy substance use. This is the most common learned connection. The next logical misconception is that the solution to heavy substance use is to get over unhappiness or depression first, and then sobriety will follow. Let's be clear and firm about this. We do not believe nor mean to teach that heavy substance use is caused by unhappiness or the re or relieved by happiness. Here's the thing. There's, there's a lot going around where somebody says just... You, what you need to do if you have an addiction is build a li life you don't want to escape from, right? And 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 that seems to ring true to a lot of people if they have this belief system that that unhappiness is the cause for heavy substance use or any kind of substance use for that matter. And and I, I'm not sure that you can do that. I, I think I'm not sure that people can build a life that they'll never want to escape from at some point in time. That's a, that's a great idea. That That's a great point. So uh, can you addiction proof your life? You know, I once heard some researchers oh, talking yeah. about addiction proofing your life. 
And that that term in it's not exactly what they were talking about, but I remember thinking to myself, you can't do that. You know, if you if you've connected use, your active use or future use to things like unhappiness. If I'm unhappy, I'm well, unhappiness is going to land in your lap. You know why? Because of what we talked about, the universe is gamed against you. When something bad happens, it's going to happen. It's going to, it's, it's just, a certainty. I mean, none of us get out of this alive. We've said that before. We're going to lose people that we love. Uh, that's just a reality of life. You know, your, your financial situation is going to change at some point that may be no fault of your own. That's a reality of life. Car accidents happen. Cancers happen. Exactly. You know, all told, uh, and it's not fair either. Life isn't fair. I don't know what the meaning of any of this shit is, but, but the reality of it is that bad things happen to good and bad people and everybody in between. Yep. So, so this idea that you can, create a life without unhappiness or that that's the goal. This is a big AA idea too. And, and oh, big and sure. big in the rehabs, you know, you're in this constant pursuit of this spiritual fitness. That's okay. another way of saying you got to be perfectly happy, perfectly spiritual, perfectly honest, perfectly, uh, make amends perfectly selfless, yeah, perfectly selfless, selfless. You know, all this you're not, that's just not reality. So you set up you set up a standard that's unattainable to begin with, which guarantees. And then they say relapse is inevitable because they've tied it all together in this unescapable relationship between life's pain and sobriety. So yep. you know it's it's so we got to we got to get rid of that idea. So so I want to just the whole addiction proof your life thing. The only way to do that is to learn the truth about addiction. Right. And that is that you're never a slave to, to a substance. That's it. That doesn't exist or an activity or an activity. So you, everyone at some point comes to a place and some more than others where they think, wow, life sucks today and I don't know how to make it better. Right. So if you have a belief that um, getting hammered makes it better somehow or helps you to escape somehow, then you're going to want to do it. Right. Right. I mean, so, so the, the key then is to understand, and we had somebody in our group come to this realization. She, I think it was, I, I think it was a woman. I think she, she talked about saying, holy cow, I became mindful and I, you know, I had a really shitty day and I got wicked drunk and I realized I still felt like the day was really shitty. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I objectively, and she goes, does anybody else when this, did, did this happen to anybody else? And then they felt even worse because they realized that what the freedom model was saying was true. And, and, you know, to me, it was like when I learned there was no Santa Claus, you know, that. I mean, what a letdown, what a terrible thing. And I thought I'll never love Christmas again. And that's not what happened. You know, I was lucky in a way that I I was really mindful of my drinking because of the way we grew up in AA. And oh, all that. yeah, yeah. So, so I knew that the happiness for sobriety thing was a big ruse because I also knew that have, have do you guys ever hear the term a crying jag? 
So you get drunk and you have a crying jag, you fall apart and you mm-hmm. just get all dramatic and full of shit and melancholy and, melancholy and sometimes suicidal. And yeah. And so I had, Oh, I had a bunch of those. Oh dude. It was, it's so embarrassing to me mm-hmm. now. Um, but I'd have these, these fits, right? Because I was drinking so young. It was part of the emotional makeup of a young adolescent as well. Yep. But, but, I I knew that that I would drink and drug and sometimes have these really fucking terrible times. Yes. Right? But I also knew that I had wonderful times. And I also knew that I had mediocre, boring times getting drunk. See, I high. wasn't that self-aware. But you're right. Like if I I mean, in retrospect, I can look back now and there was a lot. I mean, I had I I had nights where I was enraged and terrorizing people. I had nights, you know, when I was wasted, where I was suicidal and I had nights where I was the life of the party and had a blast. So, so if drugs and alcohol cause happiness or, or, or there's some sort of integral relationship between these two things, a mood and, and drinking and drugging, then why is it that you have all this varied behavior in the ver- in one individual? Right. It's, I'm not even looking at a bar of different people. I'm looking, you know, filled with different people. I'm looking at just my own experience. And if you look at your own experience, how many times in the middle of drinking and drugging did your mood change? And so obviously it's not the molecule, dude. No. It's not the molecule. It's That's not what is changing you. The only operative force in the relationship between alcohol and the individual is the individual. That's the only thing with a mind. There is no mind in the drug. So, so, and I say this in every podcast and I'll say it over and over until people get it. Well, the other part about this is when you, you know, everybody's experiences are their own and, and everything's relative. And, and so if you, if you just take a microcosm, you go to one AA meeting and you meet, 10 people at 1A meeting and you start to get to know these people. Everybody has different past experiences, but you'll meet a fair amount who have, who had pretty shitty childhoods, right? I oh, mean, yeah. both Mark sure. and I were, were abused. We had pretty bad childhoods. Yeah, sure. um, and, and so you remember those people, but look at, after doing this for over 30 years and meeting, you know, tens of thousands of people that came through our retreats and that we've worked with online in different ways, I mean, I've had all from all different walks of life and people that have had actually great childhoods. Honestly, I would say 40% of our guests looked at me and you in class and said, I don't have any of these problems. Yep. Now a therapist would jump all over it and make problems. Oh yeah. They would find it. Not every every therapist, but there was a trauma there. You were, there was some kind of abuse and they'd find it too, because everybody has weird experiences when you're growing up and and things that you maybe don't even remember. Right. Yeah. And, and so, but let's say that they're so minor that we knew I'd say 40% of our it guests easily. had really fantastic lives, very successful Good relationships. Yeah. Great yep. parents, great parents. I mean, we even like, you know, even in the last few years that we've been working with people one-on-one at the, at the, um, our small retreat, I mean, half the people that came in were in great marriages mm-hmm. were had good relationships with siblings and spouses, parents, children, successful, financially, financially successful people. So, so, so the idea that, that unhappiness causes heavy substance use, 
it doesn't hold water. It, it's just not, it's, it's not a reality. And in looking for that, see, this is where people go wrong and they go to therapy and the therapist will say, well, we have to look for where you feel unsatisfied right. in your life. Your underlying causes yeah. drives me crazy when people say that. Yep. And when, when the answer is so much simpler, it's so much simpler. It is, why do I feel like I need this in my life. Why, why is it that I like this so much? Right. What is the belief behind my preference? Yes. I want you to repeat that in your mind and, and rewind this if you have to. What is the belief that drives my preference for heavy intoxication? Yep. And is that belief objectively true or not? And that's what the whole 470 pages of that book is all about. Yeah. Is debunking all those things that people believe. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of it. And, and, and we've said this before, it's, it's your beliefs are layered and, and you really do becoming mindful while you're doing it and testing out these theories that you're reading in this book is the key um, to opening. And, and I think Mark said it in, in his comment on this person's post, you know, he said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. You can't unring the truth bell. Once you realize, oh my God, every time I drink and drug, I am the narrative. Yes. I am the narrative. I'm the one that's coming up with the ideas because a drug can't do that for me. Yes. I want you to just have that ring in your head because eventually if you realize this over and over, it will crystallize, it will become emotional, and then you will just emotionally move on and evolve out of the problem. Yeah. You, you, once you realize, so, so I'll go back to my Santa Claus, um, you know, example. And so, so I'm eight years old and I earned seven or eight years old. And I learned that, that Santa was actually my parents and the way it was explained to me, it was like, there is magic in Christmas. Well, I, it didn't matter. I was heartbroken. And I thought Christmas will never be the same again because I had been convinced that I had heard Santa's sleigh bells and all of these things. I was so, so convinced in the magic. And and it took me probably a couple of years, oh, several years, really, to to realize where the magic actually was. And it was in my own mind. Mm -hmm. And yeah. which means, and that's where, where the alcohol, like I too... We drank I, after 20 years of abstinence and, and we knew these things already, but I still was looking forward. I'm like, you know, what's it going to be like to be drunk for the first time again, you know? And, and it wasn't, it wasn't magical. It wasn't magical positive. It wasn't magical negative. It, it was just, you know, you feel tipsy and you feel a little sick and you know, it, there wasn't, I was like, oh my gosh. The magic was me all along. So this is a great analogy. I just wrote this down. I, now I have to get my glasses because I can't even remember what I wrote <laughs> 30 seconds ago. Christmas as an adult mm. is akin to moderation. So people ask me, yes! all the time, if you if you drink in, in moderation and you know that alcohol doesn't do anything objectively for your mood, then why do you do it? Right. And I'm going to tell you why. So. Nearly everyone understands. So you have the magic of Santa Claus, right? Or if you didn't have that in your childhood, some of us didn't have exactly that experience. You might have a ritual in your religion or a family reunion 
or something where people come into town and, and your world changes for three days or some event, try and think of some event that felt absolutely, totally magical as a kid. Yes. Right. And then the magic fades with age because reality sets in and you realize, oh, this event isn't magical. Christmas isn't about Santa and the reindeer and, and he's not and coming. Presents. And yeah, it's not. And, but here's, what's interesting. How many of you out there recreate during Christmas time, the magic, either for your children or for yourself. Yes. You listen to Christmas songs. It reminds you of certain things. You get a heartfelt feeling of a little piece of that magic, but you know, Santa isn't real. Well, that's moderation. Yeah. I'm totally digressing off the topic. But I think I, it's perfect. I, but I, I wanted to, I wanted people to understand that when I drink now, I used to be a hardcore believer in Santa. Okay. Yeah. I believed alcohol was my end all be all magical solution to every damn thing in my life. Made me, made me be able to fight and be assertive. It also made me romantic. It made me better sexually. It made me better with everything, assertiveness, crying jags. If I wanted to be ridiculous and dramatic, it was my excuse to do so. Yes. If I wanted to go to a dance and dance, I could do that. Right. And then, and then the magic was gone. It, I, I realized that it was a shit show and my life was completely falling apart and I separated from it for a period of time, 21 years. And then I went back and what was the magic left for me? The magic as an adult drinker, as a person who had rang the bell and had really looked at objectively at what alcohol was, could do for me and what it couldn't do. I realized, um, you know, I, I like the ritual on a summer day with my buddies and laughing and I get the ritual of it. Yeah. And, and, and it's, but do I believe that alcohol is actually making me have a better summer day? No, I'm making it with a prop. Yeah. Just like Christmas. I put ornaments on the tree with, with the kids and all my kids are grown. Nobody's sitting there waiting and putting cookies on the mantle for, yeah, Santa. for Santa, but we all are having a damn good time. So it's, it's when you realize there's no magic, but that you're making the magic. And that you don't need to make a whole ton of it because it turns into a shit show. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Exactly. So let's, so now we can tie this back with, with the idea that unhappiness, when we say you're moving, that the positive drive principle brings you towards happiness, what we're saying, we're not saying that unhappiness is the cause of your heavy substance use. It may be a reason, right? That's, yeah, a it reason. may be a reason because you believe that, that, you know, drinking, drugging, or whatever behavior you do, gambling, or, you know, whatever behavior you do, you do is your, your best path towards being happier, right? But then you start to objectively look at it and you think, oh, I'm the one making myself happier doing an activity that I perceive I, it makes me happier, but it doesn't really make, so, so you start to, to really figure out maybe there's something else that'll make me, that is more efficient and I, that I, works better. And, and, but we don't want to get into the area of replacement here. No. We're not saying you're going to go out and take tennis lessons to be a happier person because then you fall and pray to the same old myth. Right. It's, it's only the, if you want to get over a drinking or drug problem. There are three options to cleanly take care of this problem. 
will I be ha happier abstaining? Will I be happier moderating or adjusting my use to non-problematic levels? Or will I be happier continuing to believe in magic and uh, hitting it heavy and hard? Yep. That's it. It has nothing to do with getting a hobby to be happy. No. Because once you start doing that, you're once again tying use to happiness. And let me tell you something. Here's an example. The day I got sober and quit drinking heavily, I was 18 years old. Uh, I had just gotten out of jail the night before after a DUI accident. My family kicked me out of the house. My father said, you can't come home anymore. I never went home again, by the way. I was out for good. Um, and I had no money. I had no driver's license. I had no friends. I broke up with my girlfriend that day. That fell apart. And I was out in the street. And I never drank heavily since then. And that was 34 years ago. So heavily problematically, right? I abstained for 21 years. So the point is, was I happy? Fuck no. My life was gone. I, I was my, my whole life. And then there was a time when I was suicidal mm. in the first 18 months. I was stuffed in treatment in a mental hospital for a while due to the courts. My life was terrible yes. and I never drank and drugged because I knew that there was no Santa Claus. I knew it finally. And I was like, okay, that's not going to work for my happiness. And so quitting was better, even yes. though my life was a total train wreck. Yes. You, you, that's a, that's a great point that, you know, we hadn't made yet. And that is for the most part, when people stop their heavy substance use, like when you, whether you get stuffed in a rehab or whether you get arrested or whether you just one day wake up and go, you know what? I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to be drunk anymore. I don't want to have this hangover anymore. I don't want to feel like crap. The first little while, especially if you've been hitting it hard and for a, for a long time, you're got to get your life together. Life can be like at its lowest point in the days and weeks following a, a heavy binge or in the days and weeks following a decision that I'm done with this for now. And if, if unhappiness was the cause, well, you'd be stuck in that loop forever. Here's what's so crazy about what you're saying too. Then rehab tells you, you got to hit bottom to get better. Oh yeah. Holy yeah. shit. You want to talk about contradictory messages on the one hand, they're saying you have to get happier that if you have a mood disorder, you're going to continue to mm. drunk, drink and drug. You're, you're going to struggle worse than the person without a mental disorder, which we'll get into in a second. And then they say, oh, but by the way, you got to hit rock bottom. You That's haven't hit terrible. bottom enough. You have to be so miserable that you can be humble and have the solution handed to you and you'll accept it then, but only after you've been humbled by hitting rock bottom. So what is it? Do we need right. to be happier or do we need to hit rock bottom and be humbled? You can't have it both ways, but treatment does. They play that game. Oh God, and that's it's such so confusing. A, it's such a sickness game that they play. So here's the answer. Has You, you step out of all of that. You yep. just get rid of all of that and say to yourself, wait a minute. Does drinking and drugging objectively make me think differently? Does it provide thoughts in my own mind and guide me out of a stressful or, or um, anxious situation? Does it pay my bills? Does it make me escape? Does it right. make me escape? Or do I get drunk, 
feel funny physically and then decide, fuck it. I'm just going to escape for a little while. I'm going to choose to think about other things and go rent a hotel room with a hooker. Right. right. I, I mean, it, these are decisions that we that we make as individuals. And the, again, the only operative force, the only one in there is you. So obviously the drug can't be making you think something that you don't want to think of. It can't make you escape. It can't provide a veil from your problems. It can't make you blind to the stress of your life. Only one doing that is you. Yes. So let's talk about um, the statistics here. Okay. Which, which prove the point that, that uh, happy or unhappy, it really doesn't matter. Okay. You can be genuinely unhappy or depressed and not feel the slightest need or desire for heavy substance use. In fact, 80% of people with mood disorders do not have substance use problems. I'm going to read that again. Yeah. 80%, eight out of 10 people with mood disorders don't have substance use problems. And the minority who have both substance use problems and mood disorders, such as depression or bipolar, have no special difficulty getting over their substance use problems. Their rates of recovery are just as high as those who don't have those problems. That's from a 2011 study. And there, there, it's not just one study, by the way. There's several studies that prove that out. Um, this isn't cherry picking like people like to say we do. It's We've looked at everything. Yeah. So the solution to your substance use problems is not to get happier first but to simply cease to believe that heavy substance use is your best available option for acquiring happiness. It's deceptively simple. It is. It is. The thing that's holding you back if you're struggling with this concept, first of all, read the whole damn book, please. Just read the whole damn book. Listen to it. If you don't like reading, get the audio book. If you yep. don't like that, you like video, get the online program. Yes. Get it. Just get it. It'll... We're, we wrote it all out for you. We spent 27 years collecting all the data for you. You don't have to struggle anymore. I just, I want to say, I'm going to read this one line too. Again, trying to resolve unhappiness first is indirect and keeps heavy troubling use alive as a potential option for when unhappiness hits again. Right. You're keeping that connection alive. Yeah. This is such a great chapter. It's chapter 16. You might want to go back and read it again if this is something you're struggling with. That's right. Okay. So how, oh wow, 32 minutes. So I Perfect. think, I think now, um, we'll, we'll, we close this one up, you know, we, I think we beat this dead horse. Um, but I want to remind you of a couple things. One, we have our families moving past addiction masterclass. It is free. And so whether you're the substance user um, and you have family members who want to know what the heck are you doing? You stopped going to your meetings. Um, you're reading this book. You're doing this online program. And, and you have family members that are really scared for you. Have them come. The next one is May 4th. So that's Star Wars Day, May the 4th um, at noon Eastern time. So if you are listening to this in different part of the world, noon Eastern time seems to be a really good uh, time frame for people, um, you know, within six hours before six hours after us time wise. Um, and, uh, and then we'll be adding new dates every two weeks. So stay tuned. You can go to the freedommodel.org, go to the family resources tab. And then underneath that, it says family masterclass. And you'll be able to see our, uh, the dates that we have coming up and enroll there. 
Um, the other thing is we're st- you can still get our book for free if you're in the U.S. If you're not in the U.S. and you want a, a free book, um, you can email us at info at the and I will send you a PDF personally. I will send it to you per- personally That's right. um, because we, we aren't shipping overseas. We're looking into that though to see um, what that would cost and if it's I know some people really want the actual book in their hands. Let me ask you something, Michelle, because I don't under, I don't know about this. So the link tree, if they go to thefreedommodel.org, do, can they see the link tree of all our stuff? Is that where they see that? No, the link tree is something separate. If you go to our social media pages, um, the there's a link tree, which is a new big thing now, where um, when you click on, like if you, the links on our social media pages, whether that's, um, Facebook, Instagram, oh, Instagram, yeah, Instagram, TikTok, TikTok yeah. uh, probably LinkedIn now and, um, Twitter. If you go to our bio pages, you click on the link tree and it'll say like, it's got a bunch of links to our products. So it'll say free book. You click on it, takes you to where you can get the free book. It says families moving past addiction masterclass, click on it and you can register. It has all of that. It has all of that. It has our podcast. You can, our podcast pages on there. Um, I mean, it, it has our online program on there that you can, you can get right to our online program. So, so yeah, if you go to any of our social media pages and don't forget, we do have um, a private Facebook group called the freedom model group. So if you haven't joined, go join. Yeah. Um, There's good discussion there. Great discussion there. There's people at all different stages of reading through the book. It is not a support group, so to speak. All it is, it's, 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 you it's a, want, if you have questions while you're reading, it's a great place to go. There's people that have finished reading that have had their own experiences. Um, and some of them have been through the online program. Some yep. of them have been through our coaching program, uh, where they, we do one-on-one coaching, yep. right. That wasn't mentioned. So there's just a lot of ways that you can learn this and we've designed it around your needs. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say it's not a support group, the reason I say that is because there's, there's this idea that people need support, um, to that you're weak, that you're weak and you have a disease and you're powerless. And this is just another thing. The 12 step program is kind of bastardized. And I mean, that's, uh, it's not, it's not necessary, but while you're learning, having a discussion can be very powerful enlightening, getting insights from, from people can be helpful. Yep. So, so that's why you do that. And All should right, I forget everybody. anything? No. All right. Thanks everyone. Um, hopefully we'll see you in the masterclass. All right. See you then. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic. And we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.